Welcome to the Small Business Sessions from Enterprise Nation, powered by Zero. We're a podcast packed with inspiration from entrepreneurs who've been there and done it, and advice from experts on the topics you need to know to start and grow a brilliant business. Head to enterprisenation.com forward slash podcast for more information, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Welcome to the Small Business Sessions from Enterprise Nation, powered by Zero. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode. My name's Dan Martin. I'm Head of Content at Enterprise Nation. And this week, we're all about business growth. We're focused on how to grow a great business. And we're joined by two great guests. I'm delighted to welcome uh, Gary Turner, MD of Zero UK. Hello, Gary. Hi, Dan. And Sydney Warren from Papersmiths. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. So we're going to talk to Sydney and Gary about how they've grown their prospective businesses and their advice for other people. So first of all, Gary, you grew zero. And I was looking at the stats. You grew it from a three-person startup, 50K revenue to 40 million-ish plus where it is today, which is an amazing growth story. How did you end up taking on Zero UK at the start? So the story of Zero really briefly, the business actually originates in New Zealand. So it'd been going in New Zealand for about a year, year and a half. But obviously, New Zealand's really small. And so the ambition for Zero was always for us to be a global business. And so pretty early into the, the story in New Zealand, the, the ambition was how do we enter into new markets internationally? Still being headquartered in New Zealand, but how do we operate at scale globally? Uh, and I was at Microsoft at the time. I had been um, my entire career in software businesses, technology companies, and had noticed that the emergence of cloud technology was becoming a thing. It was becoming really uh, tangible and the prospect of actually reimagining and building new kinds of software and new kinds of software businesses was a reality 10, 15 years ago. And so when the opportunity to um, connect up with Rod Drury, who was the original founder of Zero New Zealand, and think about how do we build a business in the UK, it felt like a, I remember the conversation uh, with Rod was along the lines of, we, we want to get going in the UK, uh, and it was like, okay, when do I start? Where, where do I sign? How do we make this happen? It was yeah. a really instinctive, obvious mm. thing to do. And so quit uh, my job at Microsoft, much to everybody's surprise, because you're coming up this massive American international software business to a startup business that nobody's ever heard of and quite a dreary, I mean, accounting software is not the most exciting category. But I was completely convicted that there was a huge opportunity to rebuild um, not just software, but uh, enable businesses for the first time to run much more effectively, much more efficiently understanding what the numbers were. And so it was part instinct and part kind of just seeing the business opportunity. Mm. And Sydney, what about you? How did, how did Papersmiths happen? Very different story to Zero. My business partner, Kyle, and I were running a small design studio in Bridport in Dorset, and we were doing jobs for local businesses there. We moved the business to Bristol because we wanted to be in a city. And we took on a premises that had a shop front and we sort of decorated the space with our prints and we had our design magazines dotted around. And then the public would kind of knock on the door and say, are you a shop? So we said no, but then thought perhaps we could turn half of it into a shop. We were struggling financially at the time with our client work. We didn't really have enough. So we had about 500 quid and we just built all of these shelves out of scaffold boards, spent 500 pounds on stock and opened this really minimal shop. Um, but people came in and started buying them. Wow. And then you moved to a new shop, didn't you? And in fact, I live in Bristol and I'm like five minutes away from your original shop. I know it well. In fact, I bought Christmas presents there. Yeah. So how did you then move to that? Because obviously then you took on the, your first proper permanent shop. How did, yeah. how did that happen? Because that was like you said, it was you never intended to be a retailer. But now you're like, hold on. 
could have a proper shop. Exactly. So we did a year in that initial space and then we saw this huge shop come up for rent in Clifton Village. And we, Carl and I had always walked past that premises and thought that would make an amazing shop. It's literally got two walls that are floor-to-ceiling windows. Mm. So anyone walking past can see in and see all the product and be enticed. So it came up for rent and we did the numbers and realised that we'd have to times our revenue by 10 um but we went for it we were quite carefree uh we were 24 at the time we didn't have big responsibilities and we put together this pitch for the landlord who wanted an independent business to go in um and we opened and on day one we we did take what we would have taken in revenue in a month in the previous shop in one day so things changed very quickly and then and with that we had a, a second real business on our hands yeah it wasn't a pop-up anymore. Yeah, exactly. Well, going back to the zero story, so there you are, you're now quit this massive international Microsoft company and you're running a startup. So what did you do immediately to get going and communicate to the world that Zero UK was here? Mm-hmm. Actually, the communication part probably came a bit later on in terms of priority because with not a massive, well, you don't really have much of a marketing budget at all. And marketing is not really the way that you're going to get a startup going. So the primary focus in the first year was just in the first few months, it was just getting great people. So that original core team, we wanted, so we had, so for the 2009, 2010, we had about five or six people over that time join the business. And they were really, really important. The first people you hire into the business kind of set the tone, define the culture, uh, and actually help you reach your first milestones. So the number one priority for me was actually finding great people, finding great talent that could come in. Hard to do because you're a startup and therefore there's a whole job security dimension that some people would be reluctant Mm -hmm. to deal with. And so finding those special animals that wanted to join a startup, but actually had enough maturity and experience to come in and actually get behind helping to build business as well. And that was my number one challenge, I think. Thereafter, spending money on, and we, we, we didn't spend anything on marketing really for the first couple of years, because the chances of you actually driving the kind of growth and getting that platform of customers in just by spending money on Google or taking an advert somewhere, it's just never going to happen. Marketing has a part to play probably a bit later on. Mm. And so it was really brick by brick, customer by customer, finding the first few, the first 10, the first 50, the first 100, the first few hundred, uh, and and being aware that that was probably going to take about a year or two years to get any kind of critical mass going. So those were really the priorities for us. Mm. What about people for you, Cindy, at the start? I guess it was you and your, just the two of you. But now you've got a shop, so you know, and people are important. Where did people play a part in where have you started and grown? Massively. So at the beginning, Kyle and I did all of the different roles that you find in a business, like most startups. And then we began to employ people to come and help with the jobs that we didn't have the skill set to do well. Um, beginning with accounting, actually, we hired an accountant um, and we used zero from day one, 2013. Um, and then we hired a graphic designer because this that was for our design business. And then as the shop started to take, take off, we had to hire sales staff and store managers, people to help marketing. So the, the team grew gradually and it was really every year we'd have a bit more budget and we'd think, OK, who's going to have the biggest impact? What kind of role? Um, And to echo what Gary was saying, actually, culture, it's everything, because we could hire somebody with amazing skills, but if they're not able to work 
within the culture of small business where sometimes you have to work outside of the nine to five. It's just not going to work. So we found by hiring people who are really positive, they can see how things are going to be in the future and they're invested in that vision too. We're all going on the same path and um, it works really well. Yeah, I mean, you both said people are so important. It's key to both of it. I just wonder, you, you both got really strong brands, really strong businesses. You communicate the culture. So how do you both maintain that culture and ensure that all employees of following that particularly as you've grown like gary what do you do to check that everybody's still you know on side as it were i think you have to be paranoid right that if you take your eye off it then six months later the business has turned into something that you don't want it to be mm. and 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 i think that uh so for example when we're hiring people we're hiring lots of people most of the time every kind of cohort that we bring in every month um, I sit down for an hour with them as a group and talk about our values and talk about why we're doing what we're doing to reinforce the importance of that because we've always done that. Our values as a business, I think of them as a cultural preservative. It's what we set out to do. They aren't ambitions, they aren't destinations, it's what we already are and we must not lose sight of that. You can go too far with that and say, look, these are our values, read the handbook, Thou shalt not deviate from that. And that's not quite, I'm not quite <laughs> defining some kind of cultish perspective here, but, but because actually it's really important that the message is you also bring your own contribution to that. Mm. And so our culture is, is generally uh, defined along pretty kind of um, loose guidelines. And then it's up to the individuals to pick it up and make it even better than what it was when they, when they joined. And so we, we spend a lot of time deliberately reinforcing the importance of the mission, why we're doing what we're doing, who we're serving, what we're all here to do, and our, and our five values are a big important part of that. And I worry that the day I stop doing that, the day I start being too busy to sit down with 25 new people and delegate that to someone else, then I think we've lost it. And I think it's so important that I have to do that. Right, right. And is it is it the same for you? You know, I know not as many staff, but you're growing, you know, quickly. So is it, do you still communicate that kind of thing to everyone you employ? Actually, just hearing what Gary said, it makes me realise I need to be doing that more right. because <laughs> I, that's something that um, we definitely lack consistency with. So we'll go through stages of me being able to spend a lot of time on recruitment. So this afternoon, I'm going to, to interview people to come and work in our Chelsea store. But six months ago, my colleague James would have been doing that because we were going through a patch where I needed to work with on, on finance all the time, basically. So I think with us, it's just like adapting to the situation, but it's probably the most important thing to make sure that that culture and that message is coming from me. Mm. So you've got five shops now. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to make sure that everyone is consistently communicating this, understanding the same culture. Yeah, and understanding what we're all here to do, mm. which can definitely get lost between myself, James, who's operations store manager, sales assistant, mm. making sure that, that message gets through is something that we definitely need to work on. Yeah. Um, Gary, you mentioned how, you know, at the start, marketing wasn't as important, but obviously as you grow, it's massively important. You both have such strong visual, sort of quite simple, but very powerful brands i always think both you're sort of quite similar in that sense so again once you did start doing the marketing what was what was the vision for that on keeping it simple but making it effective i mean so clearly we had uh, it wasn't like we didn't have a website at the beginning um and, and so we had all the core elements of our yeah. brand established and we spent a lot of time thinking about what that should be very early on when I say we started focusing on, on marketing, was actually spending money on yeah, exactly. marketing. Yeah. So, so we've always had a really core 
and clean um, identity for the business, for the brand. I think that people buy experiences, they don't buy products anymore. And your website and the tone of voice you use in your communications and the kind of visual identity that you're creating for your business and your brand and the product or the service have to be quite coherent and connected. And so we had that really clearly defined from the beginning. And I think one of the, and that's one aspect that might make us a little bit different in that the vision for for zero without, and we're in no way an arrogant or that kind of brand, we, we always knew we were going to be successful. But I don't mean it that way. What I mean is that we always had a view that if we were going to do this, let's really try and build a great business. This This feels like a huge global opportunity. So let's shoot for the moon. And if you set up with that, definitive goal for your business rather than well let's have a bit of a punt and if it works then we'll put a bit more money in and a bit more money in and who knows where it might lead we had a very clear vision that if we really went for it this could be a huge business and therefore that informed the importance of brand identity systems culture ambition from the very very beginning that we could have still screwed it all up and we would have looked like idiots creating this this like business that had the capacity to really be at scale, but then I never made it. Fortunately, we managed to get to scale, but we had a really clear sense of what a global brand needed to look like, what our communication style needed to be, the way that we communicated with customers, right down to customer service. We, we had, and again, it sounds like a bit like a cult, we had a kind of list of banned words that you weren't allowed to use in customer communications, like Endeavor was one of them, because Endeavor belongs to this category of really crappy customer service mm. experience. Well, I'm very sorry we've screwed up. We'll endeavor oh, yes, to resolve that. it as a matter of utmost urgency, yada, yada, yada. I said, no, 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 that's not, that's not, that doesn't align with our brand. That doesn't align with the experience we want to create. We want to create clarity, simplicity. That's what Zero stands for. And everything about our brand should, should align with that. And we, I think, defined the importance of that very, very early on. And it was only when we got to some kind of scale economically that became viable for us to start spending more money on marketing spend. Um, but, but the clarity of of the brand and the identity was so important. What about you, Sydney? Because you've got a very strong brand, very obviously very visual. So did you have a similar vision? When we opened the first store, we just, we had to come up with a logo really quickly. Mm. And, and we actually had a different name. But in 2017, just before we opened our store in Box Park, we'd had a really good year in the design studio. So we could invest a bit of our profit into rebranding. And at that time, we created really beautiful stock of paper which a customer could use in store to test out the pens and they're all quite playful and they've got little captions across the top saying bust a rhyme or draw someone in the room and we, we invested heavily in designing these and producing them we created our first tote bag we did our box park shop fit beautifully it was all and still is millennial pink and it's got the neon sign in the window and we we collaborated with a um, a surface designer who created this jasmineite surface and we just went all out and went into the detail and we do that with all of our stores because as Gary said actually it's about the experience it's not just about the product we want people to come in and be in this beautiful space and it sort of brings about a sense of calm and a place to interact with the product and try them out and um, that really is our brand it's it's the place as much as it is the product mm, mm. 
I mean, I know that from your your Bristol store, like the pads to write on. So it's not like the old days of, you know, going into W.H. Smith and you had to sort of write on the wall to test that it worked. Yeah, which doesn't even work because you have to have your pen vertically anyway. Yeah, so I do like that. There's people in their drawing and that's the experience you've created. What about on the the marketing side though because obviously for you like your instagram in particular is like you've grown thousands and thousands and thousands of followers is that a super important channel for you yeah. and is it as it directly impacted on the growth of the business yeah so 87 percent of our sales online come through instagram wow it's evident that instagram brings people into the stores mm-hmm. and they share content of their experience in the stores online mm-hmm. which is it's actually that's great for us. Um, but we, over the years, we've managed that channel in different ways. So initially, I would do that in the shop when I was shopkeeping. Then we hired someone full-time to do it. And when she moved on last year and we didn't actually have the budget to continue it because our online sales aren't really what they need to be, we've taken that back into the stores. So the store sales teams are creating content in the stores. Okay. And it's it's actually a bit more real and it's a bit more about what's going on right now in the stores what products have arrived and customers love that because they can see what's in their local store Mm. so yeah we we're adapting that all the time we have to be very reactive to what's going on in the business how much budget we have yes i think that will always change and develop 87 percent is massive isn't it from that one channel are you doing paid paid so it's all organic organic yeah that's that's big numbers um gary what about social media for you because you know customer service and, and brand it's you know i guess it's has played a massive part in the growth of the business as well. I, I think it has. I think one of the aspects of, of our business, and, and, and again, it's part of our identity from the beginning, is accessibility. As a, as a small business, as a startup business, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever the social media channel is, being in the market, participating as a community member in the market, being passionate about why you set the business up and the problems you're trying to solve in public, I think is a really powerful way of defining your values, sharing your perspectives and, and, and engaging in the community. And so early on, I mean, a lot of people think of, of things like Twitter or, or Facebook purely as promotional channels. I guess that, that that works if it's done well and it's done creatively. And it's just like you guys are doing an amazing job on that. But it isn't just a case of like, spamming lots and lots of money into social media to try and get eyeballs the old way. A big part of what, what I've used, and, and I already was on social media before before we, we did zero, but I've, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter every day talking to customers. I'm on Twitter every day, people asking me questions or complaining about something. And I could have decided early on to like avoid engaging in that. And so we're not going to talk to our complaints department or talk to our PR team or something. <laughs> the endeavor department. But that's not very authentic. You know what I mean? That's not, again, that doesn't align with this identity that we feel really down to our core. We are here to, to, to solve problems for businesses. We, we're, we care about that. And I'm going to hide behind the screen. Um, and I want to find out what those problems are. I want to find out what feedback people have. I love it. When, when somebody complains about zero, um, I often will like it not to provoke them, but to acknowledge the feedback. It's like, thank you for that. That's great insight. And so I think being as a leader of a, of a startup business, being accessible, being authentic, being accountable for your failings as much as you are talking about what's so great about your product or service, mm-hmm. I think was a, a really part, an important part of our uh, defining our, our culture, that community. And uh, I'm just surprised that so many businesses don't do it. And, and many of them that do do it don't do very well. We just have to be authentic. Mm. I was going to ask that, actually, like the importance of the founder at the top of the business and how long you stay there 
and you're still there talking to people. And is that the same for you? Like you're very much the face and you still are the face, even though you've got five shops with managers and all of that. Is that still important? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I'm out there meeting suppliers. So they kind of know me as the as the person who's choosing products. And then we use Instagram to share that story with customers. So that's me and my voice and face. And often I'm answering questions on there about small business and challenges. And then in the stores, the team, I because when I we've got a lot of part-time staff, so when I'm doing my weekly visits to the stores, I don't always get to see everybody. So I've started this um, monthly newsletter where I'm sharing news with people and just inviting them to engage and share things with me, which has opened this new channel of communication, mm. which we didn't have before. And we also use an app called Yapster, which is sort of like a combination between a Facebook wall and a WhatsApp group. So I can communicate directly with Rosie and Chelsea if I've gone in and we've identified a few things we want to change about the store. She'll then ping over some pictures to me later and ask for feedback. Or mm. I can say, by the way, this product's coming in. So it's like a way to communicate really quickly with each other mm. um, and share imagery and everything. So, mm. yeah, totally. I think as the founder, I am very much the person who people look to. But I am tr- I'm kind of trying to share share responsibility more and i and i really don't believe in a hierarchical Mm. model i want it to be a lot more collaborative yeah but with that i'm realizing people actually want some boundaries and they everyone in the team wants they want to know what i want yeah which um is not how i originally thought business would be right i thought i thought it was going to be a lot more collaborative and actually it is that people just want to know what needs to be done sometimes yeah that is very true but in terms of outwardly, you are still like you you do a lot of media, don't this about you. In fact, you're a case study with zero as a customer and it's your story. So is that important? Your face in the media linked to the brand. Is that is that part of the PR sort of strategy for us? Yeah, it is because because a lot of our customers are owners of small businesses and they are self-employed. They they actually really enjoy hearing the story of starting a small business and we get a lot of engagement about that. Um and that's that's the kind of conversation we're having on the shop floor as well with people. They're a freelance designer and they're coming in to get their favourite notebook and a magazine for inspiration. So it does all tie in together. It's a classic question in some of these things, but if you could like start all over again, is there anything you do different? Gary, do you want to take that one on first? Um, no, semi-flippant uh, answer to that would be we, we only started significant spend on marketing and advertising about two or three years ago up until then it was targeted on on like google and things like that and i remember the first time we advertised and we were on a campaign on the on the ground on the tube and you can have like you can buy the tube car panel talking about your products and it was amazing the number of uh, and this is quite early on still in our journey and we were trying to kind of uh, get, get relationships built with banks and we wanted to really infiltrate the kind of banking industry and get connections and relationships going but of course as a startup business they go well actually we're a big bank and we've never heard of you before why would we bother engaging so it was like lots of unreturned phone calls lots of not interested conversations and i remember when we first started advertising on the tube and literally the number of people that pinged me on LinkedIn from those big banks saying, oh, we should talk to you guys. Yeah. And it wasn't until they'd actually seen us physically in the real world that they began to, oh, maybe we should take you seriously after all. And so the conclusion, what I'd do differently would be really, really early on, and in our case, it was banks, but in other businesses, it might be 
another demographic, another sector, is what I would have done is I would have spent £20,000 buying bus shelter adverts outside the entrances to all the big banks in London. So I only would have bought like five adverts, but that's all it would have taken, I reckon, because they would have just seen the advert coming out of their office every day and was like, oh my God, these guys zero everywhere. And so a semi-flippant answer to that, I think I'd probably do it. I'd be hyper, hyper-targeted on, literally that, that, that person we want to connect with is in that building, let's advertise right On their that bus stop. Yeah. That is a brilliant tip. I'm going, to, I'm going to use that in articles. Sydney, what about you? Would it have been bus stops or would uh, it something else? I think generally having had more financing at the beginning would have been super useful because and then, but then we can start with a full-time person doing marketing, a full-time person on finance, a full-time person on operations. Whereas what we really had was somebody doing all of that role in one. Mm. And had we had that money at the beginning, I think we'd have set up all of our systems straight away in preparation for growth. We're doing it the other way around now. So mm. we've grown and now we're realising mm. where we need systems and processes. Mm. Um, however... I'm learning because of it. Mm. We're all learning, and that's positive. But yeah, I think I think that would have been a good one. Yeah. I, think... I, I, I might add, sorry, that, that so um, even though you're now like retrospectively adding that stuff, even if you'd had it from the beginning, you'd be changing it again anyway. Different. So <laughs> the, there's never there's that stuff is never done, and uh, and actually you probably saved yourself some heartache putting it off. Uh, yeah. at the very beginning because no matter when you started it you'd still be constantly reinventing it and rebuilding it and so um but yeah that that's that's a, like whatever whatever is a great idea or a great system or a great workflow four years ago becomes a, a liability pretty quickly yeah, that, yeah that's very very true um so gary you're as well as zero you you know you sort of you're you're sort of well known in the small business world in various places and you have other businesses what are your thoughts generally on the uk as a good place to grow a business I think it's amazing. I don't know if there's anything specific about the UK. It's not like we've monopolized the web and the internet and social media. I mean, I think there's some things happening globally that obviously are happening here that, that we're capitalizing on. Um, I think that the world of work 20 years ago is very different to the world of work today. Uh, the prospects for entrepreneurs um, or even people with a side hustle, they want to do something on the side and maybe they're writing sci-fi ebooks and working in a bank during the day and they've got this little side hustle going i think that's such a vibrant and open opportunity now that didn't exist 20 years ago 20 years ago if you had an idea to set up a business it was hugely capital intensive you'd like you'd need an office you'd need a photocopier and a switchboard and a receptionist and your desks and everything else before you could even start trading and now we're in a world where you're your shop front is physical and also Instagram in, in, in the case of Sydney's business. And, and the, the channels that you can build and the way that you can build businesses and the technology that we now have, like smartphones that can, you can run your business on. 20 years ago, I remember being in software 20 years ago, there's nothing like that. And so I think um, wherever you are, and definitely in the UK, huge opportunity for creativity, great ideas that would have previously been in obscurity, can now find a community, can find a customer, can find a channel through the, the richness of what's available on, online these days. And so I don't think it's ever been more exciting to think about building and running and start a business in the UK. Mm. I guess you'd agree, Cindy, and a lot of those side hustlers, I guess, are coming into your shops to buy the planners and the, the stationery. And the... Yes. Yeah, they are. No, I, I totally agree. I think wherever we've opened our stores, we've been in a community of 
um, retail or cafes and hospitality of people who have started their own thing. And, and that culture is infectious. Mm. And just finally, last question, all the, all the question that's asked, just what are your couple of general tips for, for business growth? What start with you, Cindy? Understanding your finances, that's the biggest one. So even if you're working with a bookkeeper or an accounting um, or an accountant, knowing what it all means and keeping a close eye on it and ensuring that you have a solid financial model, mm. that's the most important thing. Mm. And Gary? I would wholeheartedly agree with that, obviously. <laughs> of course. Uh, I, I think having great stationery in your business is really important. <laughs> also. Um, that wasn't intentional. <laughs> I really do believe it's the most important thing. Yeah. Well, and, and we absolutely believe, we have amazing like notebooks and, and everything else. <laughs> um, but, but I think that we could spend an hour on, on this one. I, I think uh, we'll, we'll, we'll finish where we started. I think it's like people, create people and go really fast. Uh, because whatever feels like an opportunity today might not be the same in a year or two years and the window may have closed and so find great people and work really hard and unfortunately there is no get rich quick scheme uh, the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Bill Gates of this world are the freak outliers <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean it's like 0.001% of the population is going to get that lucky yeah. and unfortunately for everybody else you've got to work really hard. So make sure it's something you, you're enjoying, you're, you feel passionate about, and therefore it isn't hard work. Well, I think you've both shown how working hard brings results. Sydney and Gary, thank you so much for joining us on the Small Business Sessions. Thank you. You've been listening to the Small Business Sessions for Enterprise Nation, powered by Zero. For more information, visit enterprisenation.com forward slash podcast. And big thanks to podcast production company Podraffy for producing this podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time.